Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. I hope you're all well and that you've had a lovely week. Now, I don't know if this is going to become a regular thing because maybe it's a bit boastful to talk about your own reviews, but hey, I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Someone described Desert Island Dishes this week on iTunes as a salve for the ears, which is kind of wonderful. So thank you so much for all saying such lovely things. Genuinely, you guys are the best. If you haven't yet left a five-star rating, now is your moment. And your good deed for the week could be recommending Desert Island Dishes to your friends. I love bringing it to you every week and I really want to carry on doing so and that means we need to spread the word. So this is a lovely episode that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. I'm such a big fan of Amelia and she was kind enough to invite my sausage dog Digby along. He was obviously delighted but as predicted he wasn't the most helpful co-host so apologies if you can hear him. Without further ado here is today's episode. My guest today is Amelia Freer. Amelia is one of the leading nutritional therapists in the UK. She's treated hundreds of clients through her private practice and clients rave about her approach to nutrition, which is motivational, extremely knowledgeable and done in a way which makes incorporating healthy food into everyday life enjoyable. Her client list is very impressive as some of her clients have included Victoria Beckham, Sam Smith, Boy George and James Corden. She is the author of three best-selling books. Amelia divides her time between her fully booked practice in central London and her home in Wiltshire, where she says you will most likely find her pottering around in her vegetable garden. (laughs) Welcome, Amelia. Thank you so much. So I know that you are very modest and also very discreet. So I didn't know that you had such a cult celebrity following. I think I knew about Sam Smith, but the others? Oh, well, I've been really fortunate to have most of my clients have come by a recommendation. And uh, it's been lovely when some of them share it. I mean, most of my clients are incredibly discreet. And, uh, you know, nutritional therapy is a very personal and private thing that, that, you know, people go through. It often gets confused that it's just about weight loss. And actually, it's very rarely that most of my clients are really interested in looking after their health and they want to, you know, be the best that they can, the healthiest that they can be. But no, obviously, for professional reasons, I would never discuss. It. Yeah, but such a credit to you that they sort of want to go out and shout about you. It's amazing. It's so it's cool. It's really lovely. Not really. I mean, it's it, it's lovely, but it's not just me. You know, if nutritional therapists do this work. I think the more and more people that talk about how nutritional therapy has helped them and helped them feel better, then that's fantastic. Yeah, such a great thing. And my goodness, you've done so many things in such a short space of time. I found it so interesting when I was researching you and I've got so many questions. So I thought we'd just, <laughs> we'd just dive straight into the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Well, you probably won't be expecting this from me, but I was really racking my brains to remember childhood and sort of think back to what I can really remember eating. And uh, actually, it was a crisp sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what I was expecting, but I love it. (laughs) So I just remember going camping with my dad. And I think, you know, he probably had forgotten food or whatever. And I remember him teaching me with these big white slabs of bread and loads of butter and shoveling these crisps in. I remember just thinking, this 
is incredible. Yeah. I can still taste it. I mean, I don't really, I don't remember when I last ate a crisp sandwich, but I can still taste it. It was awesome. Yeah. There is not much better than a crisp no. sandwich. So simple, but so, so good. So good. And I'm, you know, when you're camping and you're cold and you're hungry, but I think that probably the, the, food the, the dish that most reminds me of my childhood was my mum's bolognese Ooh, and I remember it in my difficult teenage years when I was trying really hard to be vegan it broke me oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you go through a vegan phase yeah like all teenagers do I mean I, I I'm I'm passionate about animals and my father was a vet and so I think you know like most young girls I was really questioning for a long time about how we could eat animals and when my dad was saving them and caring for them yeah that's an um, interesting yeah so I struggled with with that, and and so I was definitely vegetarian for a long time, and then tried to be vegan, and uh, but you know couldn't resist my mom's bolognese. Yeah, <laughs> and so I really love what I really love about your story is how you got to where you are today, because it sounds like such a natural evolution in a way, because you yourself went to see a nutritional therapist, and in a way that kind of changed your life in more ways than one, didn't it? Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I really wasn't a foodie. Um, I wasn't interested in food and I had no inclination in the connection between food and how people felt or, or health at all. It wasn't ever, met, you know, a plan for my path. But I wasn't, you know, so unwell that I had some horrible disease. I wasn't hospitalized or anything, but I just wasn't a very well girl. Like okay. as a teenager, um, I always had stomach cramps. I mean, I just remember being crippled in pain, but just sort oh. of getting used to it, yeah. ignoring it. I had really bad acne, which I know lots of teenagers have, but you know, it was, it was excruciating for my confidence. I just remember not being, not having lots of energy, not being very vibrant. And this just got worse and worse. And went by the time I moved to London in my twenties, I mean, I was so excited to move to London, bright lights, big city, yeah. you know, I just thought, oh, life's going to change. And then I still felt crap. You know, I'd been to the doctors, I'd taken lots of drugs for my acne. I tried you know, the obvious conventional route. And it was a flatmate of mine who said, you might want to look at nutritional therapy. And she told me about it all. And she told me about the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, which is where I ended up studying. And actually, it was really her passion. And I remember feeling quite guilty when I decided that I was going to study it, because it was sort of her thing. It's what she'd been saving up to do. Oh, no. It was her future. And then I was like, like, I've just been on this whole journey. And I've realized that I want to study it. And um, it was quite a difficult conversation. Yeah, have, actually. <laughs> that's so funny. But that's so interesting because I think the way that you describe how you felt, I imagine quite a lot of people feel like that. And and it's sort of when do you get to the point where actually you realize that isn't normal? Because if it's been your normal for quite a long time, yeah, it's like a weird breaking point. Isn't exactly. It? Exactly. I think from what I, my experience with all of the clients over the, that I've worked with over the years is people do just sort of put up with feeling substandard. And yeah. actually, I can say, hands down, it is astonishing how quickly and how much better we can feel when we pay a little bit of attention to our diet. That's so exciting said, to hear. Yeah, it really is. And I think that was what really ignited this interest in food for me, because I went from not really caring about food, not really thinking about it. I mean, I was just doing what I think a lot of people do is unconsciously put food in my mouth, chew it and be doing something else. And once I understood how good I could feel, I suddenly saw food in such a different way. It was, it was, it's just so powerful. Yeah, that and, is really like a life-changing moment. And so when you went to study, were you thinking that you could maybe do it as a career or were you just sort of wanting to get as much knowledge as you could? Yeah, I mean, I've never been a, a sort of very career-orientated person or much of a planner. And 
I don't think I had the confidence to imagine that I would ever have a career in nutritional therapy. Okay. I was really studying it because I wanted to understand how it worked and I didn't want to be reliant on a nutritional therapist to, you know, see each month and tell me what when I could take a supplement or how a supplement works. So I was studying it because I was suddenly fascinated, but I remember I used to always sort of switch off at the bits when they would talk about careers or <laughs> having a practice because I always think, oh, that won't be me. That won't be me. That's so interesting. So at that point when you were studying, what were you doing before that? Or was it your first? No. So I'd, I'd been to university like every, I'd had a gap year after yeah. school, went to university, dropped out within the first like six weeks, absolutely okay. hated it. <laughs> what were um, you reading? I was reading English literature and psychology. Okay. So very interesting yeah. subjects, but I just, uh, university was not for me. I hated school. Um, I, I just hadn't really had a, had a good experience with that. And there was some, there was a real hunger in me to get out into the world and start working. I was always quite grown up, maybe quite mature. And I found university, just everyone going out and getting pissed all the time. Like maybe because I'd grown up in quite a sort of liberal household, I'd sort of done that and it wasn't a big thing. Yeah, it seemed a bit boring. Yeah, so... Um, so I'd moved to London. My first main job, I mean, I did lots of random sort of secretarial jobs. My first main job was working for the Prince of Wales as his PA, which I did for oh my a number of years. That's so cool. Um, and well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I just wanted a job. Yeah. And I didn't really think of it as very cool. <laughs> Initially, I think I kind of wanted to work at Vogue or somewhere really glamorous because I'm such a country girl. I thought I wanted a glamorous life. But actually, once I started working for the Prince of Wales, I was, uh, you know, I, I realized what an incredible opportunity it was and what an amazing job. So, so that's kind of what I had been doing. And then I'd taken a little bit of time out because that job got to the, there wasn't really anywhere else for me to grow within okay. it. So I'd taken some time out. It happened around the same time that tragically my eldest brother was killed in a plane crash. Oh. Um, and so I was definitely questioning the meaning of life and, yeah. and wondering what to do. And I went on a trip to India to learn yoga. And it was there that I was chatting with someone and sort of put the connections together that actually I wanted to have a go at studying nutrition. I love that so much because even though you didn't set out for it to become your career, in, in many ways, that's kind of the best way to do it, isn't it? Because it means you're coming at it from the very best place. And also I think it adds so much credence to you as a nutritional therapist, the fact that you've actually been there. I think I read um, you used to drink eight cups of tea a day and you had three teaspoons of sugar in yeah. each cup, which I, I love. completely blame my mum for that. She <laughs> gave me sweet tea from a very young age. It is hard <laughs> to sort of go to normal tea when you've had sweet tea. When you've been, well, yeah. I, think I was like weaned in those baby cups with like milky, very sweet tea. And I thought my mum, she still has lots of sugar in her tea. It never occurred to me to even reduce it. It was only once I was sort of understanding, uh, you know, potentially the impact that it was having on my health. But I think it wasn't just that one thing. It was the overall course. Okay, let's talk about the second Desert Island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. Uh, I had to chat to my mum about this because I couldn't remember, but it was a pasta salad. Ooh, <laughs> what was in it? Loads and loads of mayonnaise. Okay. Actually, this was a trick from my cousin. I think she's at university at the time and she was, you know, on a budget and she taught me how to make this. So loads and loads of Hellman's mayonnaise, fried onion, chopped peppers, sweet corn, tuna fish. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, yeah, it's still really good. Yeah. Today. I was going to say, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm thinking that sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah. Very tasty. And how old would you have been? Like, were you cooking when you were growing up? No, I really wasn't. So I think my mum was quite appalled because she was, you know, she was a proper home cook. She really is a great cook. 
And um, she would take a lot of pride in presenting food. She was always throwing dinner parties. And she, I remember she used to constantly question me, like, aren't you interested? Why don't you want to learn how to cook? I was not interested. I mean, zero engagement in food. And, and maybe, I mean, I always admired how beautifully she did it all and, and how tasty it was, but I just wasn't that connected. So she used to be kind of quite worried about me. So she um, must be over the moon now. I think she still can't believe it. <laughs> I also think we cook in a very different way. I think she does. She still does that sort of very Delia Smith 80s style. Yeah, it's a different and kind of thing. Sometimes she's like, what is that ingredient and why? <laughs> and, you know, but no, she she can't quite believe that I suddenly overnight became interested in food. So I know that you studied for four years and you have the very best credentials, but I mean, I could be completely wrong about this, but people don't have to do that, do they, to become a nutritional therapist? It's not a protected no. term. So um, for me, the course that I did was four years. It's usually a three-year diploma. Um, for me, I had to do a year of sciences because I had no science A-levels. So I did a like a science foundation course before I could get on to doing the nutrition course. So I studied at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, which is at the time, it was the only place in the UK that was offering nutritional therapy. Unfortunately, it still isn't a protected title. So there are people out there who can do a sort of weekend online dodgy course. It's so strange, call themselves isn't it? Nutritional therapists, which is so uh, frustrating yeah. and um, unfair. But I think in general, there's a lot of incredibly well-intentioned and really well-trained people working, no matter what their title, working within this industry who are offering great evidence-based advice. And I think nowadays it's pretty clear to work out who who has done their research and knows their stuff. Yeah, definitely. And if you're going to see someone, you just do a quick Google to find out where they did their course. Exactly. And if it was a weekend course, then yeah. you can make your you decision. Can, exactly. <laughs> On that note, I wondered, what's the craziest nutritional claim that you come across or sort of fatty diet that has just made your jaw drop? Like things like my aunt um, will probably hate me for telling this story, but she... Um, when Rivita first came out, it was sort of hailed as a diet. Snack. Yes, I remember um, that. But you were meant to eat it sort of instead of a meal. You'd have a few Rivita for your lunch and she misunderstood. So she was just eating like packets <laughs> of Rivita as <laughs> snacks. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, there's been some really crazy stuff. There's, there's quite a lot of crazy stuff. But yes, you mentioned the cabbage diet. I think, I think, Anything that is, just gets people eating in a really restrictive way. I mean, I remember as a teenager, all of my friends were going on the, is it Slim Fast? That oh, like yes. Powder and you just drink that. And oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Yeah. I just, yeah, there's a lot of, of crazy stuff. So I feel again, this is not backed up by any kind of evidence other than my own opinion, but I feel like it's a job now that loads of people are really interested in. And there's been such a tide turn in where we are with food and nutrition. But was that the case when you started studying? Because no. you've already said that was the only place offering courses. Yeah. And so I, st I went to study in 2003. So uh, it was it was really unheard of. And I think still at that time when I told people what I did, they would just like thought I was an idiot. <laughs> labeled it as a quack. Really? Um, whereas now, I, you're right, the tides have really turned and now it's quite a respected industry. And uh, I think people are much more open and interested in in food and health and well-being now than they ever were before. So it took a while. I, I guess it probably started to change about six or seven years ago. So cool that you were a pioneer. Thank you, Margie. Yeah. <laughs> 
And once you've qualified and you've done all of your studying, how on earth do you go about getting clients and starting up your own practice? Because you've said that wasn't something that sort of particularly interested you, but you've done so well at it. Well, the course that I did, because it's, it's really teaching you to be a nutritional therapist. So obviously it's teaching us all of the science and how to understand scientific papers and how to use lifestyle and, uh, you know, all of the necessary things to, to understand the industry, but also it taught us brilliantly how to be practitioners. Okay. And um, that's one of the things that I really admire about this course. So by the end of the four years, I had all of these skills and I realized actually I can, I love sitting down with someone and talking about their health and helping them navigate their own personal jigsaw and find what the miss- missing pieces are. And, and so I was kind of excited once I'd graduated to get started. Yeah. So exciting. And I was lucky in that I was living in the countryside at the time. Um, I think I'd had a breakup with a boyfriend middle of the course and um, I'd moved home with my mum just while I finished the course. So I was living in the countryside and I think I was the only nutritional therapist in the area. Amazing. So quite quickly word got out. And I always say this to any practitioner or aspiring practitioner now, the best PR is your clients. If your clients leave feeling inspired, motivated, happy, and they actually achieve some of their goals then they're going to talk about you. And that's what happened. So very quickly, I had a growing practice and, uh, and, and I didn't have to do any PR or any expensive business cards or, and this is even before the days of a website. Yeah. Oh my God, that's <laughs> um, amazing. You know, yeah. Word of mouth is key. It was just word of mouth. And then um, I think after I'd done that for a couple of years, I moved back to London and uh, I'd also been working on a great retreat company. So it sort of got me out and about seeing the world and kept it kept it all interesting. Um, it was it's called Inspa and they would take lovely venues around Europe and they would fly out the team of experts and take maybe twenty four guests on the weeks and they were just such incredible weeks and you really got to watch people arrive knackered, you know, eating too much or eating in the wrong way and not exercising and not sleeping and by the end of the week just watching these people come alive with with health and feeling really motivated to sort of actually implement this into their way of life. Mm. So that helped me kind of get a, lo- a lovely London client base. And um, it kind of just grew organically from there. Oh, that's amazing. I love the way you talk about that. Like, it must be so satisfying to sort of literally see your results sort of in practice. A hundred percent. It's the best part of the job. The third desert island dish. What is the best dish you've ever eaten? So, I mean, I know that everyone will say this. It's so hard to pinpoint one thing, it is. isn't it? And for me, when I enjoy food, it's always about the people. It's always about the place, the environment. And or actually, it's more about those things than yeah. it is actually about the food. Because I wouldn't say I'm the most sophisticated eater. But I think going back, you know, recently, probably my warmest, fuzziest, most enjoyable memory was the day before I gave birth to my daughter, I was just this enormous blob. And I said to Nick, you know, can we go out for lunch? I can't, I can't face cooking or whatever. He's like, yeah, sure. Should we go to this little cafe? And I was like, no, I want to go somewhere nice. <laughs> it took a long time to explain and interpret to Nick what nice meant. Anyway, eventually he got it and he booked us. He took me for lunch to the River Cafe, which oh, is perfect. literally for me. I'd been wanting to go for ages. I'd never been. <gasps> and it was, I, you know, I, I just appreciated every single second from the moment of walking into the door, the whole vibe, the whole atmosphere. And it was autumn or it was just like early September or middle September. And I just, I had this incredible sea bass and there were some Jerusalem artichokes. And and I think that there was fennel, but I remember just eating half of Nick's plate and we took one of a great friend with us and I was eating half of her plate. And for me, it was just food 
heaven. Oh, the best. And I came back home. I was in a complete coma and the next morning went into labor. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do we think there's a connection? <laughs> in my research, I came across you talking about the best breakfast of your life, which was a breakfast that you had in Portofino in your early 20s. And it sounded really oh nice. God, Margie, I don't remember this. What is it? <laughs> okay. Um, so maybe makes me sound like such a stalker, but you said you had the freshest, juiciest peaches, oh. warm bread, pastries, coffee, overlooking the sea. And you said you'd never forget it, but we know that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, that's terrible. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that because I completely remember it now. I remember just being amazed the way they bought, because, you know, in Italy, they just, everything looks so beautiful and it is so fresh and it, it was so simple and not overly thought out but oh gosh yeah and the amazing. setting sounds amazing that was long before my nutritional days I yes. don't eat breakfast like that anymore <laughs> your ethos around food is all based on positive nutrition which I take to mean as the idea of adding beneficial things in rather than taking things out is Spot that right on, Margie. Yes. Yay. <laughs> in a world of deprivation and diets and constantly being told what we shouldn't eat that sounds pretty amazing to me I came across something you said, which was that you've observed that the average person considers that if they've eaten less in a day, that's a good day. It's a mentality that's been completely drummed into us with many still focusing on calories as opposed to the quality of nutrition in the food we eat. With so much information out there, it's just so overwhelming and confusing, isn't it? It really is. Do you find when people come to you, that's sort of the general situation is that people are just confused? Absolutely. They come and they've just got this web that we need to slowly unpick of sort of diet myths, childhood beliefs, emotional connections or, you know, issues with food. It's it so depresses me that it's become so complicated because it it's just it just shouldn't be. I know. And uh, that's kind of what all of my writing is about. That's kind of what my work has always been about. And when I'm working with a client, I'm able to sort of help them achieve that really lovely balance because my goodness, food is such a source of enjoyment and oh, pleasure. Yeah. And to take that away from anyone would be would be so wrong. Sometimes if someone's unwell, we need to be sensible for a while and uh, help them get back on track. But For me, I always say, you know, food has to be equally for our social and emotional health as much as it must be for our nutrition. I love that you say that. I think that's such an amazing saying. You also say that people have been trying to diet and restrict their calories for the last 40 years and it just doesn't work. We wouldn't be in the public health crisis we're in today if diets worked. And you say that what's worse is that people now don't enjoy food because of the guilt that's attached. That is just, it's so true, isn't it? It's something that I never imagined could happen. I mean, I, w- I really, you know, when I was first writing and, you know, doing sort of um, quotes in the, in the media and things, it never occurred to me that, that, that what's happened, that, you know, could have ever happened. Yeah, it's and unbelievable. People could become so fearful. I mean, I guess in the 80s, you know, when Rosemary Connolly was really at her height, people did start to become a bit fearful of food, but it was all about points and calories, wasn't it? And, yeah. And more about fats, being fat free. So we have been fearing foods for quite a long time, like fat phobias. But what makes me sad now is just is just in general that people have so many rules around food. Oh, and, so many rules. And I, I feel so bad for potatoes. I feel I like... I know. <laughs> potatoes have had such a bad rap. They really have. Yeah. I think we need to sort of <laughs> look out for them because I don't like, it's very unfair, isn't it? It's really unfair. It's yeah. really unnecessary. But I remember, yeah, lots of Lots of people on diets, that's always just the potatoes, the first thing to go. Yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? Maybe it's because often when you have potatoes, you have lots of butter. 
Well, I think it's just the whole understanding about the amount of carbohydrates that we consume. So, of course, there's a role. I read it somewhere else. I can't claim to have this this uh, this phrase to have come up with this phrase myself. But savvy, not fearful. You know, and I just think that sums up exactly how we should approach food. So, I will never deprive myself of potatoes. Yeah, but I'm always going to be savvy of them. Not yeah. Yes, that's so true. If we could go back in time, do we think is it Atkins's fault that we feel like this? Oh yes. I think I think he probably had quite a lot to do to do with it to yeah. bringing in. He made everyone car. scared of carbs. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to happier things, the fourth desert island dish. What is your favorite sandwich? I mean, I really love sandwiches. I, you know, I feel like me and Joey from Friends could be really good friends. <laughs> oh my God, he really loves the sandwich. I'm, yes. And I get it every yeah. single time. Do you also like pastrami in your no, sandwich? No, <laughs> no. That's the only way that we would differ. But I really do get excited about a sandwich, but not shop-bought sandwiches, okay. which to me are utterly revolting. Even if they look great, even if they sound great, they are never, in my opinion, tasty. They're always a bit of a disappointment, which just kind of constantly reminds me of why I believe that, you know, wherever possible, we should cook our own food from scratch. Because I think we can make the most sensational sandwiches ourselves. So for me, my perfect sandwich would just be using up leftovers in the fridge and just shoving it between some incredible bread, you know, whatever whatever bread you like. If you had all the ingredients in your fridge, what would you choose to put in there? I think Probably my most favorite would always be good old egg mayonnaise with watercress. Oh, yes. I just love it. Yeah. Just love it. But I do also make a really mean sort of roasted vegetables with chickpeas and hummus. Yeah. Lots of crunchy veggies and lettuce. I mean, that is just heaven. Yeah. That sounds really you good. Know, I could also go for a cheese plowman. You know, yeah. stop me, Margie. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's not stop. Let's go and eat all of those. I also came across you saying that you love a bacon sandwich, which you enjoy a couple of times a month, which oh, yeah. made me feel like love. we would definitely be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to have avocado in it. Yeah. I have to have lots of crunchy lettuce and tomato. And I have to have tomato. For me, it's always about the vegetables and that all, I mean, just plain. Nick always has it just plain bacon. I'm like, oh, that doesn't excite me at all. I mean, there's a time and a place for just plain bacon. Really? Yeah. What kind of bread are you having? Well, so I can't eat gluten because it really makes my tummy bad. So uh, at the moment I use this. I mean, I always experiment. I make lots of my own. At the moment, there's a lovely brand called, uh, what's it called? Good Grain Bakery. Okay. And that, that, that feels like a real treat. Okay. Talk to me about your positive nutrition pyramid because... I'm I'm obsessed with it. You created it. So me and my team, yeah. we, we sort of, when we were writing my third and most recent book, we'd sort of, we were observing this culture that food had become quite trendy, but quite quickly, quite faddy. And that, you know, people were focusing on what not to eat what uh, instead of what to eat. And kind of was like, okay, what was I taught? What did I study nutrition for? It was all about helping people achieve optimal health through optimal nutrition and understanding the importance of, of where we get nutrients from and how our organs function on a daily basis. And, and that was kind of really the, the sort of the, the, the disappointment behind it that really drove me to say, we've got to get people interested in eating again and understanding that food is really, really powerful and, and it mustn't be about starvation and restriction and fads and fear and all of those things. So we created the positive nutrition pyramid, which is based on a, a sort of modified version of the Mediterranean diet, which is, you know, the sort of, we gathered all of the research of what we know at the moment uh, humans need to be eating in order to to really thrive and to get the sort of widest variety of nutrients on a daily basis. 
And then we worked out what people actually need to be eating, which is actually quite a lot of food. Yeah, it's surprising, and, and isn't it? that really excited us because yeah. it's like, oh God, look, we can actually give people permission to eat again. God, the best. And show them that, you know, this, this nutritional pyramid is, it's like a tick box, just helping you to kind of observe what you're eating or not eating on a daily basis. Yeah. I like that it even has the water on it, which I think is really important. Because it's hands down. I've worked with thousands of clients and the majority of them forget to drink water. Yeah, it is easy to forget, isn't it? And you do just feel so different when you're drinking the right amount of water. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I did a workshop recently and instead of offering food, because, you know, when you do workshops, there's always snacks and there's always food and people just unconsciously eat it because it's there. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's not what I'm encouraging people to do. So there was just water. And at the end of the day, a few people just said, I've never been this hydrated in my life. Yeah. I feel fantastic. Yeah, your brain feels completely different. Yeah. Like everything feels different. And it's just because the only thing that was on offer was water. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, food's there, you're going to snack on it. Exactly. You've now written three best-selling cookbooks. And it's hard to remember, but your first one didn't actually contain any recipes, did it? Uh, only a very few. I mean, the first book wasn't, it wasn't really a cookbook. It was more a theory book based on sort of what I have learned over the 10 year, 10 or so years of working with clients and and what what I sort of found to be most powerful. And I think, you know, you come out, you graduate from, you you know, from my college and I sort of had all of this knowledge. But then in reality, once you start working with people, you realize that there's just lots of things that in general people haven't figured out, like, do they have an organized uh, cupboard or, or fridge? Have they sort of become conscious about the kind of foods that they're stocking and shopping for and buying? And so there's a lot of practical things that I learned quite quickly. And because I taught myself to cook when I went on this nutrition journey, I realized that a lot of people were just really unconfident with cooking. So um, the first book was a lot of the theory, the things that I'd found to be most useful and the things I'd found to be most practical. And then my publishers, I mean, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, and it was all sort of, yeah, I'll write a book. Okay, what do you want me to write about? It wasn't sort of very, you know, I wasn't really ambitious um, with this. And they said, you know, it'd be great to have some recipes at the end. So I sort of thought, okay, well, I cook every day. I can write some recipes. So I sort of jotted a few down and sent them in. And it was all sort of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And they were like, no, Amelia, we need them to be really specific in grams and mills. And I was like, oh my God, so I've got to go out and buy all of that stuff again. And so... <laughs> There weren't a lot of recipes because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really know how to write a recipe. And I wasn't given that much support by my publishers in in that instance. And I think because it was quite a a new book and I was quite an unheard of name at the time, they weren't going to spend a lot of money and take many risks. So it's so interesting because it's kind of like lots of the parts of your story. It's been a natural progression and it's sort of everything's come about in such a natural way, which I, I really like. The recipes are now really quite a big part of your business. And I wondered, is it possible to be a nutritionist or a nutritional therapist and not provide recipes? Because it seems like such an obvious partnership, but do you think one can work without the other? Well, it's that's such an interesting question because I, that I know lots of nutritional therapists and nutritionists who aren't that connected with food and they're much more involved in the sort of really hardcore science of it, because there is so much mm. exciting science coming out about uh, nutrition and, and food. And so I think you kind of maybe fall into one or the other camp. I've got some great friends who just aren't real foodies, but yeah. they're really brilliant nutritional therapists. And so I think maybe we attract the, diff- the, the different clients. But for me, I think I find the science so overwhelming and it changes so quickly and it's so 
baffling. And actually, the more I worked with clients, I realized that they didn't really want to know all of the hardcore science. They just wanted to know what to eat for supper. Yeah. First. <laughs> yes. And so for me, it became about how can I inspire them and make it really easy for them? Because most people just don't think that they have the time to cook their own food or the, or the skill maybe to, to make it tasty and delicious, or, or they have a preconceived conception that healthy food is going to be bland and boring. Yeah. So I just really wanted to, to stop that because that was really, honestly, my own journey because I went from just wanting to eat junk food or, or, or pre-made food. That's been a really organic experience for me because I really wasn't into um, food and I was was delighted to eat a plastic microwave full ready meal or, you know, a pre-made. <laughs> so hard to imagine that now, Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really sort of, you know, how I thought about food. And so when I learned nutrition and had all of this knowledge and realized, gosh, I'm actually going to have to get in the kitchen and learn how to cook for myself, I, I, I thought I've got to make it A, really easy because I'm utterly lazy and B, it's got to be really tasty and delicious. Otherwise, I'm never going to be able to stick with this. So the fact that I, you know, fell in love with food, fell in love with cooking, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not skilled or brilliant at it at all, but the, but. I love the process of it and I love learning it for myself. I, I don't read lots of cookbooks or have lots of, you know, follow lots of skill. I just sort of figure it out for myself, which is yes. such a joy. Yeah, it's intuitive. And that's so kind fun. of what I want everyone else to experience. I don't think it should be intimidating or alienating. No. And if you can learn it that way, it's so much easier to stick to because you don't constantly have to be looking up recipes and, you know, or flicking feeling through that you need someone else's skill to guide yeah, you, you all just the time. sort of freestyle it yeah something I came across that really made me laugh was you said I think people have lost their way when it comes to the term everything in moderation it's too vague and it's too ambiguous and you say that people really don't understand what it means anymore so they can be eating a packet of crisps and a bar of chocolate every day and still think they're eating moderately and that made me laugh because that is so me, like eating a packet of biscuits while saying sort of everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> so I, I think that's the phrase that people say to me the most. If I go to a dinner party and people say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a nutritional therapist. Everyone just says, oh, calories in, calories out, everything in moderation. I'm like, yeah. oh, really? Yeah, how hard is I it? I just spent four years studying this. I didn't know it was that simple. Thanks for <laughs> explaining it to me. Let's talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. Roast chicken. Ooh. I mean, I, I think it's probably one of the first things that I taught myself to cook, but um, I, I make it every week. And I just, I love the whole process, the whole ritual of preparing the chicken, thinking about the vegetables. I love the fact that while the chicken's cooking, you've got time to do other things. And I love that, you know, I never waste anything. So I love that I'll use, you know, make two further meals with the leftovers. I mean, it depends on how many I'm cooking. For. Yeah. Um, and always make the chicken stock. So at the beginning of every week, I will always start my week with a fresh batch of chicken stock that will then make soups and stews and sauces. And I just, to me, that's so satisfying. But I love... I just love a good roast chicken. Yeah. Do you have a special technique? Not really. Okay. I mean, I've experimented with quite a lot. I've tried the sort of, um, you know, poaching in advance with sort of really interesting flavors, but that's all a bit of a faff. And yeah, it is. I'm sort of, I'm just not that, like I say, I'm quite lazy and, and really in day-to-day -day life, I just sort of want to get on, get on with, with doing something simple. So um, no, it's pretty, it's pretty basic. I mean, I'll always use lemon. I'll always use some garlic and some herbs of some kind. And actually, I think this is a Jamie Oliver tip, or maybe it's just a general tip, but I'll always put some celery and some carrots and some onion in the tray so that that really flavors the gravy. Yes, that is a top tip. 
your latest book, which came out last year, Nourish and Glow, has a 10-day plan in it. And you say that's because anyone can do anything for 10 days. And I thought about that. And I, I think that probably is true, isn't it? Well, because again, we always want to inspire people and motivate them. And sometimes when you give people plans for too long, we know that most people sort of give up halfway. Yeah. Whereas I think 10 days, it's a really positive number. And it's also enough to actually help someone to feel better. Because I yes. usually find if I do something for 10 days, I'll feel the benefits. Yeah, that's so, so true. And I think also my publishers really wanted to, you know, a book that has a promise because that's the trend at the moment. So originally, I don't think that the book was going to be called 10 Day Plan and, and it was all about positive nutrition. And sometimes I feel a bit frustrated because I think that the book is so much more than just a 10 day plan. I mean, it's just at the end, isn't it's, it? I read it at the end. <laughs> yeah. And it's just sort of you know, helping people to actually practice it if they want, but otherwise yeah. it's lots and lots of recipes for people to just dip in and out of. So I wanted it to just be a really great user-friendly sort of manual or guidebook. Which it really, definitely is. Like it's oh, 100% your best. Like it's it's amazing. I feel it's the, definitely the book that I feel the most proud of. I yeah. think I've gained my confidence and I also understand where, you know, where you can really get it wrong with nutrition and where people get confused or end up down that sort of faddy road. So uh, having experience with the first two, I really feel like this book is a great combination of all of my experience as a practitioner working with clients and and all of the current sort of the current vibe that's going on with yeah. nutrition. But it is really clever and and I can see what you mean, like it's frustrating in a way that you have to have that kind of hook. But actually, like you say, 10 days is kind of the tipping point. It's just long enough that would make you feel different, but you could also stick to it because I feel like we all just want quick fixes. I mean, most of your clients, I, I imagine they come and they want to eat a salad and then have lost a kilo or go to the gym and want an ab, which I know I'm very guilty of, but it yeah. just, that's not realistic. We're, Everything we're still takes in time. that mentality of, of wanting quick fixes. But I'm delighted to say that the feedback I've had from that book and I, I have received, I'm so honored, I've received thousands of emails from people saying that they've done the 10-day plan and it, it's just changed so many people's lives not just you know that they've lost a bit of weight but people have suddenly realized you know that they suffered with headaches every single day and they just hadn't really noticed it had just become their way of life or digestive so it's so much more than just weight loss but obviously weight loss is always a hook for many people but nutritional therapy is so much more yeah than that. and even if you achieve weight loss it's sort of there's so much so more that's like yes, a nice added, added on yeah. extra benefit yeah but the, the majority of the book actually the most of the research in the book was trying to help people set the right foundations because that's something that I think gets really ignored again because everyone's wanting the quick fix and they're like I can follow a 10-day plan I can go to the gym and blah 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 but actually having the right foundations in place, um, understanding how we use food or how food, our relationship with food can be com- quite complicated. So I, the, the majority of the book is really addressing all of the most common issues that I've seen with all of the clients I've worked with over the years. Oh, so year. great. You talk a lot about having a well-stocked kitchen. So that seems the perfect time to ask you, what are your five desert island ingredients? Oh, I probably would say like green leafy vegetables olive oil, eggs. Oh, lemons, lemons, definitely lemons. I might have to have tea. Oh, yes. I need those are great. Tea. Yeah, those yeah. are great ones. We're on to the sixth desert island dish and that's your go-to dinner party dish. So when I do dinner parties, I really, in the, in the early stages of entertaining, I try to emulate my mother who just does it beautifully and really puts on a big old spread and everything's just, and, and so I thought that that was how I had to do it. 
and you know really didn't enjoy myself <laughs> so stressful <laughs> so stressful and I'm just not good at it so I really go simple because I want to enjoy the company of the people and not be the stressed out person in the kitchen going ah yeah. <laughs> so it will always be things that people can help themselves to um, as opposed to something that's formal and plated I'd probably say it's a curry some mm. kind of curry I love making curries and I know that there's really sophisticated ways to make curries but also I always try to tell people that you don't have to be that sophisticated or intimidated by it all you can knock up a really delicious curry using some very basic leftover ingredients yeah in that's so true fridge. would you serve a pudding sometimes I do sometimes I don't I think probably my favorite pudding I'm most proud of this one it was in the last book the 10-day plan it's like a chocolate uh, it's sort of a chocolate mousse but not a chocolate mousse at all okay what's real, the real made? chefs will be really offended what's the base made chia seeds okay yeah chia seeds but you don't taste them see them or anything and like a coconut milk or something and coconut milk ah. exactly chia seeds that is such an Amelia pudding <laughs> <laughs> it is quite but actually that's not entirely true because as you know I live in the countryside and we um, grow all of our own vegetables and we've got lots of fruit trees and so I will always try to eat whatever's been available in the season so I make lots and lots of crumbles Ooh. and our freezer is full of stewed fruits that I will turn into a crumble and then I've occasionally experiment with sorbets which isn't really I mean you can't make sorbet without using sugar but you have such a little amount I just, yeah so I do a really good plum sorbet with star anise oh my goodness it's amazing and it's just amazing. the most incredible color yeah, I bet that's gorgeous. We have a cookbook corner on Desert Island Dishes. What's your favorite all-time cookbook? Well, I'm going to have to cheat here because okay. <laughs> I just can't, I can't say just one okay. because I think that I've got experiences with them all. So probably the book that I'm most sentimental about is Delia Smith's Complete Cooking Guide because my mother gave it to me when I was 21 and she wrote in the beginning, in the front of it, to my darling Amelia, please start cooking. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I swear I have never cooked a single dish from that book. <laughs> I look through it and to me it's just it's not doesn't turn me on at all. But I still hold it because my Your poor mum. I know, my poor mum. She's like, You can't live on Marmite and Toast forever. So I'm I'm very sentimental about that Delia book, even though I've never cooked from it. I suppose the the books that I most I get most excited, like I'd actually take them to bed and read them, Nigel Slater. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's just a god. I just I love his voice. I love watching him on TV. I love the way he cooks. I love the way he writes about food. It's just give me that over a novel. So his kitchen diaries were just, yeah. to me, absolute heaven. But the books that most got me actually in the kitchen and gave me the confidence, made me feel that I can cook and that it's not just something for really skilled people is yeah. Jamie Oliver. Yes. I mean, I just, he, I love the way that he cooks. I love the sort of slapdash approach. Anyone can have a go. And, you know, all of his recipes, I felt like, yeah, I can, I can make something really delicious from this. It just gave me confidence. And the way I think the way that he writes and speaks and is, it just sort of, yeah, for me. And, and, I, and I could adapt all of his recipes if I needed to in the early days when I was quite rigid with, with how I was eating to get myself completely better. So probably Jamie's Dinners. But like the early ones, The Naked Chef. I mean, I think I've got all of his books. I just love him. I think he's great. Yeah, I think he taught a lot of people a lot about cooking. And he he just made it seem so simple and achievable, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, but sort of yeah. bought it off the telly and into yeah. the kitchen. and he made it fun. Yeah, yeah. Right. And relaxed. Yeah, very relaxed. Well, on to the seventh Desert Island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. 
I mean, you know, I know everyone says this. It's so it's so difficult because I and thinking about it made me really realize how my mood impacts the food choices. And and obviously, seasonally eating seasonally for me is something I'm really passionate about. So, you know, I want to say, well, what time of year is it? Yeah. <laughs> Am I going to die? You're going now. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if I'm going now, I mean, I was going to say, I, ho- I hope you won't die. <laughs> I hope not. Hopefully, I've got some survival skills. I was going to say like a picnic and I have a picnic because then I can just have loads and loads yes. of snacky things. But but then I was like, no, truthfully, and it's a bit boring because I've said it already, it probably would just be roast chicken with really crispy roast potatoes with creamed leeks with lovely, crunchy, tender stem broccoli with sautéed cabbage, mustard and an absolutely awesome gravy. Yes, that sounds really good. And maybe a crumble for pudding. And maybe a crumble for pudding. Yeah. But I'd definitely have to have wine. I'd probably choose the wine over the crumble. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I like I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> Amelia, those were your Desert Island dishes. Thank you oh, so much. <laughs> Thank you. So there we have it. Another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. Don't forget, you can find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura. And if you're listening and you haven't yet left a review, please do as it really does give the show a little boost and you will make my day. Thank you so much for listening. I think I might be taking a little hiatus over Christmas to recharge, but there is an extensive back catalogue now which will hopefully keep you going. And if you miss me, which I kind of hope you do, do come over to Instagram where I will no doubt be cooking lots of recipes and snooping in supermarket trolleys. If you don't know what I'm talking about, head to Instagram at Margie Nomura and I will see you there. Happy Christmas. Bye.